0: Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God's. Uh, this is the day the Lord has made. He's always, always uh, worthy to be praised. The same God. He's the same God that was generations ago. Is the same God today. I really. Uh, I've, I've. I've taken to the lyrics of that song that we've sung because sometimes I. We might feel like. God's changed that He's different. Somehow He's treating us differently, but He's—it's not. He's not. He is the same, the same God. And uh, I, I just so appreciate uh, our Lord and our Savior. And I want to say to you, thank you too for all of you who've reached out. You know, uh, to my family, we did have a sudden loss uh, this week uh, with my brother-in-law passing. So, uh, really, really appreciate your love uh, for all of you who've just said a kind word. You never know what a day is going to hold, uh, but we're grateful. Uh, we're grateful when it's one who knew the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, so that's who we're here to magnify, glorify, talk about Jesus, Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Last week, uh, we we started this series talking about watching and the watchmen waiting for the sun the s-u-n the watchmen who were waiting for the sun and we focused on psalm 130 verse number six last week i wait for the lord more than watchmen wait for the morning and then that's repeated that's repeated in that psalm it follows exactly the same more than watchmen wait for the morning. There's an emphasis on this waiting and watching for the sun, for the the sun to come, because watchmen would be on the walls of a city or watchmen who might be on a tower looking over a piece of property if it was dark at night and a, a moonless night where it was just so dark. They were essentially blind, even though they had this responsibility to be watching it would be so difficult. So this psalm expressed how they would wait for what? The sun. The, the faintest crack of light that would rescue them from the darkness. So that they could see any anything that might be coming to the city, to the property. They were watching for the sun. That first, first glimpse, it it heralds the beautiful sunrise, the coming of the morning, which is a salvation. It's an image, a picture of salvation, of rescue. We talked about how the image of that uh, a sun rising, it's an image of Jesus. It's an image of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 said, The people are walking in darkness, and they've seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And the the great light dawning, the sun rising, it's none other than Jesus. It's none other than the Savior Jesus. This is an image Isaiah wrote about there in Isaiah 9, verse 2. But he continued a few lines later in Isaiah chapter 9. Just a few lines later, there is this, this passage, one of the most recognized passages from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So, Isaiah made it clear if there was any, anyone thinking, oh, what is this uh, light that's going to shine in the darkness all about? Well, it's the coming of the child. For unto us, a child is born. So, our theme for Advent has been and will be the Son, the S U N, who is also the S O N. And watching for that sun and seeing the light of the sun it, it, last week i talked about watching for the sun and that is the, the name of the the theme of this, this series in this time but today i'm going to take a little bit of a different direction and go to a different uh a different sunrise i'll say and that wasn't really my plan I had something totally different for today that just got all messed up yesterday. I, I try, I, Lord, what would you have me say to your people? And I'll tell you, I just felt he impressed. The cross. You can't go wrong. And here's what I feel God was speaking to me. And I'm not one given to an audible voice of God, but I just felt as if he was impressing A message on the cross will never fail. So that's where we're going. We're going to the cross today and and a different image of the sun, a different image of the sun rising. We talked about last week uh, watching uh, for the sun through that time from the last prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and then it was about 400 years to the coming of Jesus, and people were waiting through those generations and watching, but not everyone. Not all who were called God's people were intently waiting and watching for a coming Savior. There was a minority, and the Old Testament uses a word. It's a word that describes this idea of a minority, a smaller group, and it's the word remnant. That's an Old Testament term, you read remnant. Often in the Old Testament, that's a remainder of a bigger group of people. And after generations of those who were called God's people had rejected God, generations that worshiped idols, generations that turned true religion into man-made rituals and rites and rules, there was yet this remnant of the faithful, the faithful, and that faithful remainder were those who watched in this world of darkness for a dawning, and they were watching for this image that Isaiah portrayed, a rising sun, which was the promised savior, and they watched for the son of God uh, and his coming. Isaiah nine, definitely. You're walking in darkness, in a land of deep darkness, you've seen a great light. On those living in that deep darkness, a light has dawned. Front to us, a child is born, a son is given. That's the Christ child. That is Jesus. And his birth was this great dawn. He's pictured as that rising sun. And he's also pictured as the rising sun in another passage. I think directs us toward the cross. And I want to share with you that passage of scripture that depicts a rising sun. It's in the Old Testament. It is in this final book of the Old Testament from that last prophet Malachi, the last chapter of the Old Testament. It's Malachi chapter four. There's this image. And let's read it. Uh, it's, Malachi chapter 4. I want to share the first two verses, the beginning of that chapter. Chapter 4 begins this way. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evil doer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire. Says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name. Now, that would be that faithful remnant, that faithful remainder. You who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise. That's the S-U-N. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well fed calves. So the day is coming, Malachi wrote. A day, a dawn, a sunrise. A sunrise that for some is going to bring a day they're really not going to like, a day of burning like a furnace. For the arrogant and the evildoer, they'll be burned like stubble, Malachi wrote. So that's clear judgment language. It doesn't really need too much in, in, interpretation. Uh, the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. The day is coming that will set them on fire. Very clear, straightforward. But for you who revere my name, you faithful, remnant jesus here is referred to as the son of righteousness rising with healing in its rays those who are that remainder that remnant they will be healed it says there will be healing and then this frolicking that's joy healing and joy the words of the prophet they could they could apply to the birth of christ they could apply to that same sunrise we talked about last week that day we know that day that sunrise when jesus was born it was marked by an announcement from angels who said this will be great news to all people it will bring great joy to all people so there's that idea of joy of course associated with the birth of christ but that day, the birth of Christ, it wasn't necessarily marked by that judgment language that Malachi used here. So could the prophecy, which speaks of the sunrise that we could parallel with Isaiah, could it mean a different day? Could it apply to a different day? Could it be like a furnace for some, but joy for another? Could there be a day that we could look at? If we consider all that Jesus came for, all that he accomplished in his years here on the earth. And I say, yes, there is another day that we could look at, the day the sun rising with healing in its rays could be applied to the day where it all culminated for Jesus. The day that he breathed out, it is finished. That was the day of his crucifixion. Jesus referred to that day as a day when he'd be lifted up. So that's a rising of sorts. Now last week, we spoke about a Pharisee. A Pharisee uh, named Nicodemus who came to Jesus one night. He met Jesus under the cover of darkness. It was probably because he was afraid. He was afraid, likely, of the... Uh, the Jewish leaders, the leaders of the faith, uh, who were on the, the council called the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus was a member of that same Sanhedrin. And likely he didn't want his colleagues, his associates, to know he's coming to talk to Jesus. So he came at night. He came under the cover of darkness. And he had that discussion we talked about where Jesus told him, you must be born again. Nicodemus didn't understand, but Jesus explained flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. You've got to have this spirit birth, Nicodemus. You must be born again. You've got to be born of the spirit. And then Jesus said these odd words that point to a rising. He said these somewhat strange words to Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, which is a reference to the Messiah. Nicodemus would have recognized that. It's Old Testament language referring to Savior Messiah. So must the Son of Man, the Messiah, be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. There's painted a picture there, an image by Jesus, one of salvation, which would bring joy, and another of judgment. Those who are not condemned, those who are condemned. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent. Don't all that talk about being born again? And hey, Nicodemus, you know, it's all about the spirit. How does this serpent come into play? What is that all about? We read it, and from our 21st century uh, perspective, it really doesn't even seem like it makes any sense. Well, Jesus is pointing back to Moses. Moses, you know, he's introduced in the early pages of the Old Testament. He's recorded as the one who led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. But unfortunately, all those people who were redeemed, saved, brought out of uh, slavery... They weren't all fond of Moses. They were really unruly at times. They didn't much care for Moses as their leader. And they often rebelled against him and his leadership. And Moses told them, who am I? Who am I? That you're rebelling against me. You're not rebelling against me, you're rebelling against God. I'm just here doing what the Lord has told me to do. Sorry, you don't like it. You're you're mad at me, but really, You're uptight with the Lord. Well, they didn't listen. People often didn't listen. And they suffered because of it. They suffered judgment. And on one occasion of rebellion, God God brought a plague on the people. Venomous snakes. Venomous snakes were biting people, and they were dying. And so these people, of course, bad times come. They cried out to God. Well, God gave Moses these sort of weird instructions And it's in Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. And it's about this serpent that Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about. Let's read Numbers 21, 8 and 9. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. That would be a venomous serpent. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This seems really weird. It's kind of odd. But God had this purpose. He had this purpose in ending a plague by way of a bronze serpent on a pole. It's strange. The people had to look at what plagued them. They had to put their eyes on it. And this was an emblem of their sin. It was an emblem of their judgment. This image of a serpent lifted on the pole. The serpent represents sin. We can just go back to the the first book of the Old Testament, Genesis, and we see the serpent in the Garden of Eden, tempting to sin. The serpent is a representation of that sin. And the serpent also represents judgment. God had sent the, the, the snakes, these venomous snakes, as judgment, because they had rebelled against him. They're being judged for their sin of rebellion by this plague of venomous snakes. So once they looked up at the image that Moses had made that he lifted up on the pole, what would follow? Healing and salvation. This is what would follow. You look up at this, you get healed of your your fatal bite. It's a weird, it seems like an odd request, but it had this purpose in it. Remind the people their sin and their judgment. And after that would come healing and joy. Now, Jesus, he was saying to Nicodemus, I need to be lifted up. I'm going to be lifted up. The son of man, the Messiah, that's who you're talking to, must be lifted up like Moses lifted that snake in the wilderness, Now, Jesus was making an allusion here. He was alluding to the cross. And it's a harsh image. It is. It's a really stark illustration of the cross. This connection, this parallel to the snake. It's not a pretty picture. It's severe, and it has to do with the ugliness of sin. And and, and the ugliness of not only the sin, but the judgment that comes with it. And that was all portrayed by that serpent. And when Jesus said this to Nicodemus, we do not read any kind of response or question from the man. And I imagine that he knew exactly what Jesus was referring to. And why is that? Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and they were well-versed. They were well-schooled in the Old Testament. This guy would have committed to memory the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Jesus referenced an account from the book of Numbers. That would have been one that Nicodemus had committed to memory. He could likely recite the passage that that I just read to you. And in that passage, there is this picture, this image of judgment and then salvation. And there's no doubt in my mind that Nicodemus would have recognized what Jesus was talking about immediately. And if there was any confusion, if Nicodemus is thinking, wow, Jesus is talking about just judgment and the snake and all of that, Jesus explained. He continued. He didn't just say, "Uh, I'm going to be lifted up like the snake. He said, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. I must be lifted up like the serpent Moses lifted in the wilderness, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. There's that joy and that that salvation. There's judgment, there's sin, there's joy, there's salvation. Those in the time of Moses, they had to have faith. You know, Moses said, you got to look at this thing. Uh, People got bit by the snake. They could say, what do I need to go look at some bronze snake? No, I'll just deal with this. I'll, I'll, I'll cut it with the knife and squeeze it and do my best so that I don't die. But those who believed, that believed the word of God and by faith, they looked up at this bronze snake. They were healed from their fatal, venomous snake bite. If someone bitten by the snake didn't look up, no joy, no healing. They perished. They died in their unbelief. Now, likewise, Jesus would be lifted on the cross, carrying the sin of mankind. Jesus was receiving judgment, God's wrath, God's righteous judgment for my sin, for the world's sin. But all who look, all who look to Jesus by faith and believe, he carried their sin. And he received their just judgment those who believe, then comes joy, salvation, eternal life. For those who don't believe, John wrote, whoever does not believe stands condemned already. So the image of the serpent raised on the pole, it, it takes a new meaning here with Jesus. It's not all about physical healing. Yes, in the Old Testament there in that situation in a wilderness, they were healed physically, but physical healing temporary. It only lasts till the day we expire. It's temporary, it's finite. With Jesus, it's about eternal healing. It's eternal healing for everyone that believes. Now that's what that's what the day of the cross was all about. The Son of righteousness rose up. The Son of Righteousness rose up on that cross. It was a day that burned like a furnace for some, for those unbelievers. It was a day that burned like a furnace. The day that Christ died, it turned dark. There was an earthquake. The temple uh, curtain was torn in two. There were shocking things that occurred. It was a day that burned like a furnace for some, the day for those unbelievers. who didn't believe it was that day, but it was a day of bright joy for others. Yeah, of course, the day that Jesus was born was, was a bright day. It was one that many, many were watching for, of course, of course. But his life had a mission. He didn't come here just, you know, for, for some vacation time here on earth, giving up heaven to come here. No. He came for a purpose and a mission to redeem mankind from sin, to receive all of God's judgment and wrath for our sin. And he accomplished it all by giving his life on the cross as a sacrifice for that sin. And we need to look to that son. We need to look to that S-U-N, that S-O-N, that rose on that day too. That is the image from malachi and and i truly believe this image holds this image that malachi portrayed there about the son of righteousness rising and surely that day that's coming that is going to burn like a furnace and and all the arrogant and every evil doer doer is going to be stubble that day's coming that'll set them on fire but for those who revere my name the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his race I can say that was the day that Jesus gave his very life for all of us. What a great morning. What a great day. What an awesome sunrise for those of us who believe. And then, and then for those who believe, they go out to frolic. That's what uh, I said. Like well-fed calves, joy, joy, because you've been healed in this healing rays of the sun of righteousness, healed from this dreadful, fatal disease called Sin. That is fatal. And I want to say, have you watched for the rising of that sun? Have you seen the rising of that sun? Is it real to you, the light of the sun that rose on the cross of Jesus Christ? Have you gazed upon that sun and seen your judgment taken upon him? And have you received the joy and the healing from the salvation that follows by believing in what Jesus has done for you? You know, in that cross, there is this image, this great image of the blazing, blazing sun. And for those who refuse to see it, it's judgment. It's judgment. But for those who believe, it's amazing. It's healing. We must, we must look to the healing sun. The Son of God who gave his life for us. And we must look on that sun and to that sun every single day. We've gotta be in the light of that sun, of those healing rays every single day. It's not a one day thing. It isn't, it's, it's that sun, that sun has got to rise for us in our life every single morning. We have to say we're in, we're in the, the rays of the sun of the cross, the rays of the cross. Because there is a propensity in every human life to step back into the darkness. You just read the New Testament letters time and time again. There is encouragement, there is sometimes correction, instruction. Where are you going? You you foolish Galatians, what's happened to you? You started out in the flesh. Or you started out in the spirit, now you, you think you're gonna finish in the flesh. You, you, you read other letters to different churches. And the apostles are writing, well, what are you doing? You're involved in, and then there's a list, a list of sin, wickedness, unrighteousness. And, and there's encouragement, this is not the people of God. Don't go there. Get back out of that darkness. We are Christians. We believe that Christ has received all the penalty for our sin. And yet, there are times when we can stray back into the darkness. Now, Paul wrote an encouragement to the church in Corinth. And in this instance, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, resist idolatry. Don't go back to that. Don't go back to idolatry. And he wrote, what harmony? What harmony is there between Christ and the devil? What does an unbeliever have in common with a believer? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? He's he's like, don't go to this this junk that you used to idolize. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? And then he wrote, What fellowship can light have with darkness? I Me, mean, he was writing to a Christian church. And he's letting them know listen, if you've kind of stepped back into the darkness here. You need to get into the light. Even Christians can be drawn, there can be a pull on us, culture. We know there's an enemy wants to suck us back into darkness, wickedness, unrighteousness, idolatry. And you might be wrestling with something today. You might be wrestling with uh, some kind of besetting sin. You might be wrestling with a departure from God's word. You know, that that that's arrogance. When we say we know better than God's word, well, I can take this part of it, but no, that really, oh, that does not apply to me. I can't. When we're better than God's word, that's, that's, that's an arrogance. Malachi wrote about that. You know, Perhaps we're grappling with some kind of idol in our life. Materialism, ego, covetousness, which is idolatry. With faith and repentance, look to the son of righteousness who bore your sins on the cross. What fellowship can light have with darkness? Zero. And and the temptations come. The temptations come. The wrestling with the things of the world come. And we are encouraged through the writers of the New Testament to stay in the rays of the healing sun. Stay in the light of Christ the cross resist the darkness, be under the sun, get out of the darkness, be in the light, be people of light, walk in the light. Be under the cross of Christ. Really just be under the healing rays of the cross of Jesus Christ every single day. And this morning we have this great opportunity, we have this great opportunity if we have ventured into a dark place, if we have been struggling with some kind of besetting sin, a temptation. We come to the cross this morning, the son of righteousness, in our time of communion. We're going to read the passage that Paul the Apostle wrote to the church in the city of Corinth. It's a passage that instructs us about this time. But let me remind you, When Paul wrote this passage, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We read it very often. But let me remind you that leading into that, the apostle was not in a good mood. He was rather provoked. You read some of the earlier lines in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and what are you going to read? I have no praise for you. I have no praise for you. Paul is writing to a Christian church, a group of Christians. I have no praise for you. Your church meetings do more harm than good. There's divisions among you. They're stepping into the dark. There's divisions among you. Some of you come to celebrate the Lord's Supper and you get drunk. That's the words of the apostle in 1 Corinthians 11 to a Christian church there was this propensity to step away from righteousness and holiness to wickedness and unrighteousness. And this was among Christians, besetting sins, wickedness, darkness, darkness instead of light. So what did Paul do? He instructed them. He instructed those, those who were divisive, divisions among you, those, some coming to get drunk. He instructed them in the way of holiness righteousness how how should they approach the lord's table so let's read about it and let's take it to heart and and i'm not making any accusations this morning you look in your own heart if you're struggling with something if you're dealing with something let's read the words the apostle he wrote for i received from the lord the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. He's writing that because that's what they were doing. There was division. Some are getting drunk. This is an unworthy manner of coming to a church setting, to a church meeting, to sit down to have a time of communion. There's there's divisions, etc. Anyone who eats or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And we don't want any of that. Here's the the advice then. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep or died. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. This is amazing, it's beautiful. There's, here again, the idea of judgment that can be set aside. Why is that? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As you receive this this communion time. Now this is a great way to get back under the sun, the healing rays of the sun of righteousness. Because we're, we're proclaiming that he rose up on that cross. That he rose up with a beautiful, beautiful healing. A healing from the judgment we deserve. And a healing from sin. And the, the giving of eternal life. This is the beautiful sun the beautiful s-u-n it's the beautiful s-o-n but if we fellowshiped it all with darkness we need to get back under that sun and here is an offer examine yourselves so that you won't be judged thank you lord thank you god i want to receive that and i hope you do too